been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Oh, yeah. Yo, what's going on, everybody? I welcome you all to another episode of Lounging with Skip. Um, today I have an important guy. Um, <laughs> today I have an important guy um, in front of me. Uh, we go back. Well, first off, this man, when I had recorded um, my first solo record, with a friend of mine, producer C Natural, back in 1993, um, we had a an interlude on there, and it was we was on there talking about chicks. And at that time, at that age, you know, we're like, yeah, them, 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 you know, saying, man, these hoes, man, and woo, woo, woo. And um, I remember the the famous quote he said. He said, "You rat head hookers." You know, I, I still have to find that. I mean, I have it, but I have to look for it. But I remember he's all like, you rat head hookers. And it was me, him, and C Natural having a conversation. Um, this guy is from St. Louis, um, moved to New York, and then from New York moved to L.A. Um, you know, he's always been a DJ, um, music producer, um, very much into the arts. Uh, he goes by DJ B Original. We got DJ B Original up in the spot, y'all. Yo, yo, what up, what up, what up? Um, I want to get into, you know, you from St. Louis. What, what, what part of St. Louis you from? Uh, North County, Florissant area. Well, Florissant, I guess. Yeah, Florissant. Not even the area, yeah, just Florissant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's why, that's why I grew up, um... I think I've known you since probably 91, maybe? Yeah, around 91, 92. 92. yeah, something like that. Around there. We mm-hmm. went to the same high school, yeah. um, Hazelwood East, you know, you class of 93. Three, yeah. Um, so tell me, what, what got you into um, music? Um, it's a combination of a couple things, but basically just hanging around with my dad, listening to old soul records. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was that was I guess that was the beginning of it, but um around what year was this? This was probably all my life, but my earliest memories of it are like 78, 79 because mm-hmm. we I was still living in U City. Okay. And my dad used to just on Saturday mornings just play a lot of soul records. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had older sisters. I had I have sisters that are twins. That are like six years older than me, and a, and an older sister than that that's like eight years older than me. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started listening to rap because they were like in their teen years mm-hmm. when I when I was like uh, you know they were they were in their preteen years when I was about four or five. Mm-hmm. So 1979, like listening to rap music, that's when I first remember. That's when it first started. That's really. that's when I first remember. Yeah, yeah, I was just getting tapes in New York and just like you know listening to it, listening to what my older sisters listened to. And you were five years old. I was five, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was four or five. Four or five years yeah. old. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But I, I definitely remember, like, Christmas rapping. I remember listening to, like, old battle tapes, Cold Crush and stuff like that. Just, okay. you know, just tapes that you come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so your soul records, so you was influenced by the soul records that your dad was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what sparked yeah. for you to say, you know what, I, I like listening to music. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Definitely, man. Like, my dad, 
his record collection is crazy. I'm trying to get that record collection now. Yeah. I got a bunch of his 45s, but his full albums, he still has, like, in his possession. So, I'm trying. I'm slowly but surely working on them. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get those records, but, I mean, I, he got enough records to fill this room up that we're in. Mm, okay. So, you know, I was always just listening to his records, man. Yeah. yeah. What, what was one of the first records that you listened to the word? Do you remember... The, the, I know for me, I can remember the first one, which is Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. I think the first, the first, well, the first, the first rap record that I really could actually comprehend mm-hmm. is definitely the Message. Okay. I think yeah. that was 1982. I was about seven or eight. I was old enough to to understand what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Before then, I used to just listen to rap. You know, and then that was don't push me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. before then, you know, I'm four or five, so I'm not exactly comprehending everything. I'm mm-hmm. still listening to it, but I'm not like really comprehending. I think the message was the first was the first hip hop record that I was like, I, like I could really fully understand what they were saying, mm-hmm. and you know, I got the, you know, I I totally understood the concept and where they were coming from. But I think with my dad, some of the earliest records are. Probably like a lot of Al Green, Motown, okay. um, Diana Ross, mm. stuff stuff like that. But Al Green sticks out in my mind. Okay. Yeah, when I think about it. Now, yeah. why Al Green? Those drums? They the drums, his voice, just very soulful. Um, and Marvin Gaye sticks out a lot for the same reason. Mm. Yeah, that was going on album. That's one of my... That's one of my favorite albums, Timeless Classic. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it still it still resonates today. But like very heavy stuff. Like when I was a kid, I was listening to heavier stuff because that's what my dad was listening to. Right. So that's probably that's probably why now like most of the music I like is like a little heavier mm-hmm. in tone and you know. So what Okay, so grade school comes about. Mm-hmm. And so at this particular point, you're, you know, listening to, to hip-hop music. Yeah. Um, and what what grade school did you go to? Graniman. Okay, you went to Graniman. Mm-hmm. So after Graniman, you went to Kirby. Yes. So around Kirby years, what, now Kirby is a junior high school. Yeah. In, in Florissant. So what, how was your music? Because around that time, that's when you started DJing, wasn't it? That's yeah, well, nineteen eighty nine. That was that was like in between my eighth and ninth grade year. Mm-hmm. So I think so at Kirby, what was happening was we were having um, what I would consider the first wave of bullshit rap music, which was like um, young Red, redhead kingpin. Kingpin people was like that. Cool, though. Nah, was cool, nah, that man. was that was that was horrible. So what well, he was like. So so. Like, I've been listening to rap music for so long mm-hmm. that even at that stage of my life, I could tell the difference between, like, a Run DMC and an LL and Cool J. Yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and a Young MC. Like, mm-hmm. I, I had a clear, a very clear understanding that Young MC was bullshit mm-hmm. and, like, Cool G rap was not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that was right around the time. This is where I always say Dr. Dre has saved rap music a couple times. Mm. That was right around the time when Easy e and them came out. Yeah. So in the seventh grade, that's I was listening to a lot of that. Mm. Like I was being heavily influenced by that. And on the flip side, like around the eighth grade, which would have been around eighty eight, mm-hmm. which is one of the most 
pivotal years in, in hip hop mm-hmm. music, in my opinion. That's when I like, was in seventh grade. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, you know, yeah. you had those Big Daddy Kane mm-hmm. records. I mean that. You know, like that kind of, you know, the Juice Crew, like all that mm, stuff the was very, all, the, all this stuff is important. Um, I used to listen to a lot of like the Jungle Brothers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I had a very clear understanding, like, you know, Tone Loke. Now, you know, and, now you know, Redhead Kingpin, wasn't he an extension of Jungle Brothers? Because remember on that, that, doom, doom, I think, doom, it, yeah, doom, I think they was all together. And he did that whole thing with his, with his leg yeah. and the video. I think yeah, they was all together, but it was bullshit. Kingpin. Like yeah, was kind of I, I, I used to listen. To, I used to look at Kwame, and I'd just be like, nah. like Kwame was. I mean, but I like that the rhythm, the rhythm, the rhythm was. Yeah, I'm not saying that they had shitty records. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that I just felt like it was like bubblegum popcorn okay. stuff. It was. It was. Um, what's the word? Uh, 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 um, something that where it's just it was trendy. Because he, he had was, the polka dots. Yeah, he had the, he had the polka dots and stuff. And, the and it just it just didn't it just didn't really it just didn't really speak to me. Like you know, MC Hammer was coming out yeah, around the time. Mm-hmm. I, to this day, I have never played an MC Hammer record. To this like, day, like DJing it or DJing. Okay, I've never played an MC Hammer mm-hmm. record. You know, like that's what I'm saying. Like at a very early age, I was I was very much um, like I could see the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. So. So, so I would say, yeah, when I was in junior high, man, I mean, we talking, um, you know, iced tea with colors, like, I mean, just all that, all that stuff was coming out. Like, I felt like the, I felt like that was like the first time that I was, that I could appreciate, I guess, West Coast music. Okay. Because before, before that, it was like a lot of, um, it was Run DMC, Raising Hill. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was, that was cool for me because... You know, that was the first wave of, like, the battle between the new school and the old school. Mm. That was, you know, like, Melly Mel and them, they weren't, they ain't like Run DMC. Mm. So the same thing that we see now, that's the mm. same thing that was happening back then. Mm-hmm. I always look at rap as, like, you know... Do you think Cool Mo D was, was kind of... Because Cool Mo D, he, when he did, like, Wild Wild West, even though it was memorable, it was still kind of corny. Yeah. But I go to work and all that. I go to work. Like I thought all that type of stuff was kind of corny. I think when he came out with that, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, okay, this is raw. But when he started doing all the, but then I liked the beef with LL yeah. and Cool Mo D. I thought that, that was, was dope. But that, he killed him. Though. That, that, was, that, was the, that was the same beef that we have now, though. Yeah. That was old school versus something that was that was new. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I, t- I... That's how I thought about rap back then. I thought about it as, like, pre-run DMC and post-run DMC. Okay. So, in that same argument, that which is the LL Cool J and the Cool Mo D argument, mm-hmm. that's the same discussion that we have now mm-hmm. with, like, the little pumps or whatever mm-hmm. and, like, what we consider more traditional hip-hop. Right. So that... It, it's, the, it's, the exact, it's the exact same argument. What 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 my generation is saying about Little Pump and them? Mm-hmm. That's the same thing Kumo D and them was saying about LL Cool J. Right, right, right. So and that's what sparked that. You know that that's what that that's what sparked that mm-hmm. that that issue. So, um, so junior high. Yeah, so junior so junior high was like a lot of that. Um, Easy E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Drake. I mean, I was just I used to listen to Easy E like just constantly. I remember the, my um, in seventh grade, as a matter of fact, um, my math teacher had an Easy E, Easy Does It cassette, mm-hmm. and I brought it to school, and I brought it to class, and I remember the teacher was passing out some report, yeah. and she seen the the tape on my 
desk mm-hmm. and what the parental guidance suggested yeah. thing, that advisory. And um, I remember she took it. She took my yeah. Easy E tape, and I never saw it ever again. Man. So it, I say, I say that to say that that moment in hip hop was very pivotal. Yeah, it was important. It was very, yeah, for yeah. everybody for that time period. That was when people were walking around junior high wearing the Flavor Flav clocks. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy. Then you had one of those clocks. Yeah. You had one of those clocks. Yeah, and and I had the, I had the African medallion. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Okay, so junior high, so that was when all that. So then when you got to East, East is Hazelwood East, that's the high school yeah. freshman year. When did you get into starting to say, you know what, I think I want to DJ? Um, well, 89 was when I first got my like my Radio Shack set up. Mm. Um, what, 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 what kind of setup was that? I had that Radio Shack mixer. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Like, everybody yeah, had yeah. that mixer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had one decent turntable. I had like a Gemini turntable or something. Mm-hmm. And then I had the console turntable from the stereo, from the component system. Mm-hmm. So I had a component system sitting right on the right side of my mixer, mixer in the middle. Then I had like a Gemini belt drive turntable, mm-hmm. which was like not very good. But, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's all I could afford. So yeah. what you what what what'd you use to, to, to pay for that? Was that like allowance? Money? Allowance and yeah, just allowance. Yeah, my parents they never really bought me DJ stuff because back then everything was like not that expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to Radio Shack back then. You get a mixer for like twenty five dollars. Wow. You know, so I just had to save up a little money. Um, the Gemini turntable, I think I believe it was a hundred dollars. And I just like cut some grass and like mm-hmm. saved up money, and then I and then I had the component system mm-hmm. and house speakers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was like that was like '89. So, and and I had a bunch of I had a bunch of my sister's records. Mm-hmm. Like I was already buying records mm-hmm. back then um, with my allowance. I would go to grandpa's mm-hmm. and um, and I would grandpa buy, pigeons. Yeah, grandpa pigeons. <laughs> I would buy a record. And then in the same bag, I was still a record. Mm. So that's what I was. So that's what I was doing. Like I bought, <laughs> I bought. Um, I can't live without my radio. And I stole the Fat Boys and Houdini. Mm. And I, I talked to Jalil one day from from Houdini at this mm. at this um, at this event for for Public Enemy. They were being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was at House of Blues. One of my friends. And invited me. He's like, "Yo, come out to this thing," and um, and I was standing right next to him mm-hmm. from 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 Houdini. I was like, "Man, I gotta tell you, man, I stole your record when I was like 11 or 12." He's like, "Ah, oh, they was cool with it," mm-hmm. but you know, I was already like getting records and stuff because I would just take my little allowance. I would go to grandpa's, like I said, I buy a record, yeah. and the bags used to be so big after they put it in the bag. Then I would go back in and so act like no I'm looking for something there was else. No barcode. I can't remember if it was a barcode. Mm. Actually, I got some of the records I could look and see, but yeah. it, you know, it might have been. Yeah. But you know, it, the bag was so big, they would slide it in. I would act like I'm going back in and get something else, and mm. I would like slip another couple records in there. Mm. So when I started, I already had like, you know, I already had like a, like a little record collection. I had like Ice T Power. Mm. You know, I had um, which was a magnificent front yeah. Cover. That's the one with his with his wife, yeah. yeah. And you know, I had um, Big Daddy Kane. I'm a huge Big Daddy Kane fan. Mm. Huge, like gigantic man. Huge Kane fan. So you know, I had some of them records. And then, um, and then Richard Lay, man. That was the first party I DJ. Mm. 
Yeah. Rest in peace. Rest, Rest in peace. I, st- I still think about Richard like a few times a year. I was DJing over at Los Globos. I was DJing a Twister concert. It was mm-hmm. doing Grammy week, actually. Okay. And I swear, it felt like Richard was standing right next to me, dog. Really? Yep. Yo, know, I think I think about Richard like not all the time, but every now and again, cause it was just a memorable. That was my first party. I didn't have a driver's that, that license. Was, that was in Heatherton. Heatherton uh, Apartments. Yeah. No, 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 not Heatherton. Um, the one on Bell Fountain, where my man Mike Morris used to live. We used to go over there all the time. I can't remember. It was a uh, what was it? What kind of? It was a whole. It was a, an apartment. Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway, it was it was back there and. My very first party, Bobby Bobby Rose pulled a gun out. Oh wow! The very first party. I mean, my very first. What grade were you in? That was freshman year. I had a freshman year. To right towards the end, I had I had one turntable, one mixer, and I had a cassette deck, a dual cassette deck, and I had a boombox. Mm-hmm. So and I had a box of tapes. <laughs> So, so what I would do is, I would on my boombox. I had it sitting sitting behind me. I would cue up the next song on a boombox, and then I would put it into when I got it to where I wanted it to be. I would put it into the cassette deck, and then I would play a record. And then as that record is ending, I would hit play on the cassette deck and fade over to the cassette deck. Yeah. And I get the next tape out, cue up the next song. Yeah. Like I did that the whole party. Wow. And and um and Bobby pulled that pulled that gun out. I was stuck behind the DJ table. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna die. So he pulled it out and he, he and yo he, he was like, nah, he he was good. He was going to, but the dude that he was aiming at, who I don't even know who it was, was like ducking. He was like ducking behind some people. So Bobby was trying, you know, he was like oh, wow. waving waving the gun around, and um everybody broke out of Richard Lay's crib, and I'm and I'm stuck behind the table. And then finally, after I got out of there, I was literally the last person to leave because everybody just broke. They even broke his patio door when they was leaving. Like people was right, like right. trying to get out of there. Right. Um, so I ran out of there, and then when the, somebody called the police, the police came. And they wouldn't let me back into Richard's house. When I finally got back into the house to get my DJ equipment, somebody had stolen my box of tapes. Oh. Somebody, so my first gig, a gun gets pulled out. I'm stuck behind the table, Tapes and somebody stole. Dude, I had like about four, probably at least four hundred tapes. Damn, at least because I had all them singles and I had four albums. So all of that got jacked. I found out that County, I found out that Spike stole. I don't know if you remember Spike. He was like one year older than me. I think I remember Light Skin Cat. Yeah, yeah. I think so I then when Stephen Moore found out about that, he went and beat up Spike for him. <laughs> He, wow. Yeah, man, he blew Spike up, and then um, but I never got my tapes back. Man, I never got my tapes back, and and that was a, that was the start of it, DJing for me. So, did you go on to like DJ any like you know any high school functions or? Never DJ high school functions. A lot of, a lot of house parties, and a lot of like I used to do a lot of those parties at like Wash U. Mm. Slow. So you was doing college, college parties when you was in high school? Yeah, I, I ended up doing a lot of that. I don't even know how I really even started. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how I got. I was getting booked for those shows, but hmm. getting getting booked for those parties. But I ended up, I ended up doing probably because just because I was cheap, I would do it for like fifty dollars or whatever. 
And I was I was good enough. I mean, I was you know 16, 15, 16, 17. Right. So you so you was getting it in early. Yeah. I mean, I was good enough for what at that time mm -hmm. for what you know for what they was looking for. Okay. Um. So that was always fun. So after high school, mm -hmm. then what? Went on to college. What's, what what college? Did you Southern go to? Illinois University, Edwardsville. Are you on that side? You read? Yeah. I did. I I actually didn't DJ there because. Um, the frats, they all use their own DJs. Mm. So that was the thing. Like, it didn't matter if I was better than the DJs that they had. Mm. They wanted to use their, you know, they wanted to use their own DJs. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they DJs are at, at my apartment asking me about certain records and how I do, it's just crazy. <laughs> It was all fucking politics, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? But that's, so, what, but that's when you learn the politics game. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I was like, so I was like, all right, well, you know, it just is what it is. Right. So I was DJing, but what happened is I had a roommate from Chicago, and um, he the one that, that, that got me into into producing. He And he's still a very good friend of mine. We mm -hmm. talk all the time. Came down from Chicago. Um make a long story short we had a roommate he was from one side of chicago we had a roommate that was from another side of chicago you know those two sides don't work together mm. and um they had some conflict my man put a gun out on him oh shit yeah, exactly all this at siu and of course the police got called and my guy got kicked out this is in the apartment this is in the apartment yeah oh, i mean he literally the dude who he was who he was having a conflict with like kicked in his bedroom door. My man just had the gun on him. Like one more step. One of my other friends, Tony Brown from McClure, who played basketball over there, he tackled the other dude, drug him out out of the apartment. Our next door neighbors called the police. And make a long, long story short, my man who pulled out the gun got kicked out, okay. and he ended up going to um, University of Illinois. Mm. What happened when he got to University of Illinois, he met another guy there named Micah. Mm. All this was 1995. Micah had an ASR, 10. Mm. Micah still is one of the best producers I know. Mm. But he literally is just fucking around with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, but he is incredible. Like, when I say incredible, I mean, even after all these years, like, it's just something that he never really pursued as a profession. Mm. But I'm you talking Dilla before Dilla? Mm -hmm. This dude. Okay. It's, and he is still incredible. Okay. Like I'm blown away by these but he just but he just never you know, I'll be like, yo, send me some beats and he just eh. you know, he just won't do it. So college, okay, so you met okay, so you started getting into production. Yeah. What was the first thing that you um got as far as starting to make beats? The, I didn't get I didn't actually get any any machines to make any beats that I owned until I moved to Los Angeles in 2001. Okay, so we jumping ahead. Yeah, so so when I was in college, I used to go to, to um, Champaign, Illinois, like every other weekend. I would use the ASR that mm -hmm. my man O had from the guy Mike. Okay. So that's how I started learning beats. I used to go, or that's how I started making beats. I used to go to SIUE, to their music library. I would check out a bunch of stuff that I thought would be cool to sample, a bunch of records mm. on Friday. I would go up there on Friday. With, with the, the records. With the records. That with you rented from the library. Exactly. And we'd spend a whole weekend making beats with the ASR, and then I would come back on Sunday, and then Monday I would return the records. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's what that I was doing. Shit. Exactly. So that was 95 all the way 
until 97, around 96, 97 is just when I met J.E. Okay. Up at Saints. Okay. Um, so Jay, for those that don't know, who, yeah, who's Jay, Jay is the producer of Country Grammar. Yeah. Okay. So that's when I met Jay in and Spud. Yeah, ninety six, ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Jay Spud, Ali, Nelly, like all them dudes. That was it. Was right around that time, and Jay was using an MPC sixty. So he told me a lot about the MPC sixty. Mm. What year was this? Was this around the time when the I've been um, um, doom, 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 yeah, it was it was right it was right before that. Okay, it was right before they were recording those records. Okay, when I had just met them. Okay, uh, well, when I had just met Je and Spud, mm-hmm. they was like you know recording all those records back then. So Je showed me a lot about the about the MPC sixty. My man O, who I told you with the gun, who got kicked out. He was still using the ASR-10. We were all in a group, not J.E., but O, Micah, myself, Boondocks, and a couple other people. We had a group called Just Us League. Okay. And it was dope. We used to do shows around Chicago. Mm. I mean, we, we was like, you know, starting to make a little bit of noise. And um, so, so I was kind of learning both of them around the same time. But what happened was, and I was still DJing. But what happened was I was in college. I didn't have a lot of faith in the music. Um, you know, St. Louis was developing a sound that I didn't really like because I'm more of a traditional hip-hop listener. Yeah. Just because I had been listening to it so long, mm-hmm. like that's just what I like. Mm-hmm. And the sound that was, de- that was being developed in St. Louis was not a sound that I was really like that into. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I graduated college in 1998, I moved to New York. Now, first off, what'd you get your degree in, in college? In finance. <laughs> I have a finance degree. He has a finance degree. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Finance bachelor's degree from SIUE. Yeah. Graduated in 98. Okay, so you moved to New York. Yeah. So I moved to New York. I'm DJing my ass off. Now, all this time, I've been DJing like all these years since 1989. In 1998, when I hit New York, like... I was I graduated. I had a full time corporate job. I was making only I was making twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars a year. That ain't shit in New York. Mm. Like I was dying. So I was working my corporate job. When I got off at six o'clock, I would walk down to the Sports Authority on Fifty First and Third Avenue, and I would unload the trucks. Mm. I would do that. Um, I was customer service, you know, like I would help people look for shoes and shit like that when they come in the yeah, store. Was doing all kind of, okay. Exactly, and then when the when the store closed at nine, we got truck delivery, so then I would unload the trucks to ten, and then on the side I was also DJing in New York, like I was doing all that to make ends meet. Wow. You know, homeless, like it was a time, you know, it was times of where I ain't had nowhere to live. I was living at the YMCA. Like, you know, just do, doing... Do y'all hear this? You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, just doing whatever I could. You know, no air conditioning, sitting on the subway on hot days, riding the train from the Bronx to Brooklyn, Brooklyn to the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, that was... I had no money. I had nothing. And I was barely... And this is, and I'm somebody with a college degree Man. and a full-time corporate job, health care and all of that. And I still was like really not surviving mm. so um and I was DJing and through that I joined the record pool and that's how I met Chuck Chill Out okay so um 
Chuck Chillout is somebody that I looked up to as a DJ. Now, for those that don't know, a record pool, what is that? A record pool is a place where... Now, keep in mind, this is back in 98. Yeah, exactly. So, record companies used to need to, to get their promo singles out to DJs. So, if you joined a record pool... You could get the newest, hottest singles first. This is before the internet when they was mm-hmm. sent, when they was emailing the singles to you. You actually got the physical, yeah, the physical vinyl sent to you. Yep. So yeah. every week, and what happened is it was a middleman, and in my record pool, Chuck Chillout was the middleman. Okay. In order to be the middleman, you had to be like a known DJ, mm. because the record companies wanted to make sure that whoever was repping their records had a reputation. Mm. And also had enough access to all the other local DJs. Mm. The way record pools work is really not about the big DJ. Mm. It's about DJs that were at my level because I'm the one that's going to be spinning at the house parties and stuff like that. Gotcha. Back then, it was important to get a buzz on the street. Mm-hmm. So it was cool that like Funk Master Flex or Chuck Chill Out or somebody like that would play it in the, in the club. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't play it in the club to after this bus was built on the street. Gotcha. And the bus was built on the street because people like me would play new records at the house party. Okay. Or in the parks or wherever. Mm. So that's how the promo game went. Mm. So like every week I would get on the train, I would go to New Jersey, I would pick up my records. I get about 40, 50 records a week. Mm. Um, I would pick up my records and I just got cool with Chuck. Like I used to just go over to New Jersey and like I show up at like Nine o'clock in the morning on Saturday, he'll just be coming in and like, we, I mean, literally, we just hang out to like seven, eight at, at night. Chuck uh, Chill Out. Now, for those that don't know, who's Chuck Chill Out? <laughs> Chuck Chill Out is uh, one of the early influential DJs in New York City. Like, definitely um, Chuck Chill Out. Um, I, I used to listen to Chuck Chill Out on, um, was it, on XM. Yeah, on he XM. That, which he had that show with uh, Primo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he won. He one of those you know, like Red Alert type mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash. They all came up together in the Bronx. Okay, like they all. It wouldn't be no Funk Master Flex if it weren't for Chuck. Like Funk Master Flex used to carry his records when he mm-hmm. was a kid, mm-hmm. and that's how Funk Master Flex really learned the game mm-hmm. was through Chuck. And Chuck is still very active, mm-hmm. still very active. Um, you know, he DJs all the time. Like he, like out there on the East Coast, he's like fairly well known. So you go hang out with Chuck yeah. and. Um, what period for you was okay? So this is ninety eight, ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, what changed for you from moving from New York to L A? Well, the biggest change, the reason I moved, was primarily just weather, mm-hmm. just living conditions. Okay. Um, New York is like. Now at this point, where you did have, did you come and visit L A? Yeah, point. I did. You've been out here? I, I was totally convinced of it because I came out here and visited like in February. Okay. So it was like no degrees when I left New York. When I got here that day, it was like 70 degrees. Mm. So so Wait, I was what, totally what so. Was this? this is 2000. Mm, okay. So um, Nelly just dropped? Or no, I'm tripping. No, this Nelly is 2001. Did. Okay, so what happened with Nelly and then when they was recording the Country Grammar record, mm. J.E. called me. He was like... Yo, um, we got a record deal. I was mm. like, who did you get your record deal with? And he was like, I can't remember. But we got like, he was so excited, he couldn't mm. even remember. Mm. But he was like, yo, we're going to come up to New York and record this record. Mm. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, when you get when you get here, give me a call. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So so I got to, to watch, like, and sit in a little bit when they were, when they were recording that Country Grammar record, which, mm. was, which was really dope. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, mm. it was a good experience for me because I had 
never been in like a big studio like that. Mm. Um, and we talking two thousand. Mm. They was at Quad, same studio. Tupac got shot. I mean, mm. that you know, it was like a you know, it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was. Yeah, that was right around two thousand. Yeah, because the because the album came out like August of two thousand. Yeah. yeah, so then I moved to Los Angeles in two thousand and one. I actually had got a job at Warner Brothers, um, but the job wasn't ready yet. Hmm. It wasn't ready, so I moved back to St. Louis for like maybe eight or nine months. Now, what was that like for you? It was interesting coming from New York to move back to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved back to St. Louis and I, I believe, it, I think it was right at the top of 2001 because then I moved out, I moved to Los Angeles. I moved out to Los Angeles like in, in August of 2001. So it was interesting. I, I definitely had a different, uh, St. Louis looked different to me after living in New York. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like it was way slower. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was a lot less. You know, like, again, we talking 2000 St. Louis. Like, yeah. St. Louis is cool now, but, mm-hmm. you know, you got to think about it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, after living in New York and then moving back to St. Slow Louis. Pace. Yeah, I really realized at that point that St. Louis was, like, somewhere that I didn't want to be. Mm. I felt like maybe I had outgrown it. Um, and not in the negative sense, like, St. Louis is shitty because mm-hmm. it's not. But I had just experienced some something different, and mm-hmm. I just felt like I wanted to have more of that. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, so then I moved out. To, I moved out to Los Angeles. Now, how did that feel when you touched down out here, and it was, it was like, okay, let me get it popping. Let me see what's going on out here, man. So you had a job with Warner Brothers. I had a job at Warner Brothers. Um, no, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Records. Warner Brothers. No, 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 Warner Brothers uh, Television. Okay, Warner Brothers Television. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always worked in the television industry, so Warner Brothers Television. I got that job when I was in New York, but like I said, it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite quite ready yet. The position hadn't opened up, so when it did open up, then you know I made the move out here. So that was in two thousand and one. That was the first time that I actually bought something to make music. Hmm. I bought an MPC two thousand XL. Yep, I bought that, and I got. Um, I bought a Pro Tools. I bought Pro Tools Digio One. Okay. So I've been using Pro Tools since since then, okay. since 2001. It was 5.3.1, mm. and I had a PC built, mm. and I just start, and I just learned how to use it like all you know, all on my own, man. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, one thing I am leaving out is that in between New York and Los Angeles, when I did move back to St. Louis, the cool thing with JE was that. He let me work in his studio mm. anytime I wanted to. So I would go, I would be at the studio for hours every single day. Mm. Like every day. I didn't miss one While you were back day in St. Louis. When I moved back to St. Louis for that short time, for like those eight or nine months. Mm. I was in his studio. I'm telling you, from the time I got off work until like three or four in the morning. Now, is this when, um, before Country Grammar came out? This is right when Country Grammar came out. Oh, wow. So you was around? When yeah, was yes. Around. I was I was there for, for all that. What was that like? Um, it was interesting to see that rise. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. I was there when Jason got his first big publishing check. Yeah. I mean, literally, I was at his house when he opened when he, the mailbox and got the check out of there. Really? Yeah. What was yeah. that like? He was like, what? 
what? I was like, what? I've never seen no $100,000 check before. I was like, it had, yeah. the, it had the one and the zeros on it. And the, and the line said 100000 It was like 103000 or something. I was like, what? Like, I had never, ever seen anything like that. Never. And he put, he's... He opened. He, he was like, he was like, when he opened up, he was like, oh, dang, like looking at the check, uh-huh. and he set it on the counter, and I was like, looking, I was like staring at this check, because I, I had never. That was his first publishing check. Yeah, yeah. From the country grammar. Well, that was yeah, because he did a publishing deal. So, so that was so that was the first one. You know, they had all got advances and stuff yeah. like that, but that was like the first, you know, the, the first big one. So, so it was cool to just. To just see it because I just like to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love... It wasn't like looking at like, man, fuck you, man. It no. was like looking at like, man, what? Because in yep. and, and, and something like that, it makes you want to say, damn. Like, it makes you want to understand it more. Yeah. On how this happened. Yeah. And how can this happen for me? And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that's where my head is at with stuff like that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like just seeing people succeed. Like like earlier when I mentioned Lil Pump and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it, it it doesn't matter that I really don't enjoy their music because mm-hmm. I just like to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a fan of success. You know what I'm saying? Even mm-hmm. if I don't like, as long as you ain't doing nothing killing people and stuff like that. Yeah. But you know when I hear the music, I may not like like Lil Yachty's mu- music, mm-hmm. but I love his success. And and I don't I don't take that away from anybody. Like I salute all those brothers. Every time I DJ a show, a Lil Yachty show or something, and I see it, I th- I'm like, that is word. Okay, so before we can get to that, yeah. that that's so, so you were there when he got his first publishing show. Yeah, so that was so that was cool to see that rise. I loved it. You know, I seen them spend a bunch of money. I seen them make a lot of money and spend and make and spend and make and employ people. Mm. Start, you know, start that clothing line. I mean, it was just... It was just dope to see. Mm-hmm. You know, St. St. Louis had never needed seen that. anything yeah, like Louis that. needed that. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like, you know, people in New York and Los Angeles, they see that kind of stuff all yeah, the time. But at not, that time. never St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis had just never. It, it gave us hope. It, it, gave, it gave a lot of people hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and like I said, it was cool to see, to see somebody. It was cool to see somebody like. Like Nelly, who who I thought was like very talented, mm-hmm. but I wasn't exactly sure like what that talent could manifest into. Mm-hmm. Like I just think he's like a charismatic, talented kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I figured like he could be he pretty much do anything because he just has this thing about him that's very um that like screams like success. Like I think this dude could be. Like, he, he could have probably, if he was a lawyer, I think he would have been successful. Mm-hmm. You know, he just has, like, this something certain... About him. Yeah, just certain... Just something about him. So, um, so it was just cool to see, because remember, I met them at Saints mm-hmm. in the recording studio mm-hmm. in 1996. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, here it is, four years later. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and they was grinding way before that. Mm-hmm. So that's the one part of the story that certain people don't understand. Like, they don't see all of that work all the time. They mm-hmm. see the, the end result. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to see all of that up close, I thought was, like, was, like, pretty interesting for me. So, you leave St. Louis. Yep. After seeing all that. Yep. You move to L.A. Mm-hmm. Start working for Warner Brothers. Yep. Warner Brothers. Uh, television. Television. Yep. 
Making music on the side. Making music on the side. What was a certain a certain turning point for you musically out here in LA? I think when I met Prodigal Son, that was okay. probably now who's Prodigal Son? Prodigal Son is a rapper, one of one of you know, he in that Wu Tang family, member Sons of Man, and um, he's someone that I had listened to for a lot of years, and I used to always think like. Yo, I would love to work with Prodigal Son. So you listen to Sons of Man. All the time. Wu-Tang and all that stuff. Yeah, I was, you know, I'm a big fan of East Coast music. So, you know, I listen to all that stuff. So Kill Army. Kill Army, all that. Like, like, like all of it. So, so, you know, I was, I was aware of. uh, How'd you meet, how'd you meet Prodigal? Um, one of my friends is a, one of, one of the guys I worked with at Warner Brothers was producing, um, a game show and he needed a host, like a model for the game show. The model who he, one of the models that he was gonna hire, um, she was dating Prodigal. Okay. So when he called, when he called her to talk about some details for the show, he, he called her house phone and he answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, who was that? And he said, ah, it's some Wu-Tang rapper that she dated. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um. And then I said, yo, her, she dating somebody from Wu-Tang Clan? <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah. So I sat there and listened to him do his business with her. And then after they got off the phone, I said, listen, man, you got to tell her that I need to meet her boyfriend. Mm. So he gave me her number and I called her like out the clear blue sky. I was basically begging to meet Prodigal. Like mm-hmm. begging. She was like, I don't really know. He don't really meet people. You know, I you know I don't know you. She had never even met me. She's like, I don't know you. I don't know what you. Are. I mean, I was literally begging, mm-hmm. and she finally gave in. Mm-hmm. She said, Okay, where you want to meet? I said, Let's meet at Numero Uno in Burbank on Riverside. Mm-hmm. We could have a lunch meeting there, and um, he came in. I mean, we clicked like instantly, mm-hmm. and we've been like brothers ever since. That mm-hmm. was like 2002. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just 16 through, years ago. Yep, just through that meeting. Um, just through that meeting, I've, I've had so many opportunities, so many wonderful opportunities. Yeah, just by just by knowing him. So, um, he did a solo album back then. Yeah, and you did production on that album. Yeah, I I, I produced six records on that. I a and R the whole thing. Mm. And I was I was a straight up rookie. Like he and that was like two thousand two, right? That was I think it was oh four. Oh four. Yeah. So yeah. like three years after meeting him, yeah. you are A and R and Yeah, I mean he literally just gave me a shot. You know what I'm saying? Like when he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have to. He had plenty of music from all types of producers. You know, he Now now, what was that like A and R and your first project? Uh with him it was real easy. Cause uh, he and I have a real good relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's super easy, like and he's good. He, like he takes feedback really well. Mm. So I mean, we don't we don't always agree, mm. but you know, I'd be like, I don't like that, and he'd be like, Why you don't like it? Mm. And then and then and then we'll talk about it. And then sometimes he'd be like, Okay, I will change it. And then sometimes he'd be like, Nah. Mm. But it's cool because it's not adversarial in, in any kind of way. Mm. Um. So so I thought that that was really fun. It was through an independent record company called Free Agent. Mm. So, which is another reason why I got a chance to A&R that, because they just didn't have a lot of money. Mm. So, it was all hands on deck. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, so, I was in with the marketing, A&R, produced a bunch. I sat through every single mix session. 
You know what I'm saying? I went to the mastering session when we put the album together. Like, so for me, it was like almost it was like a crash course on how to make an album. Mm. Cause I, cause like I said, not only did I produce it, but we recorded a lot of it at my house in Glendale, mm. like in the bedroom. Mm. This way before people was was even doing that. Mm-hmm. Like literally, we set up a mic and we recorded probably about half of the record, like right there. Now, what's the name of that album? So if people Re- want to go back, to uh, they can pull it up. Return of the Prodigal Son. Return of the Prodigal Son. Yep. Okay. And um, so most of my work is actually most of my production work has been with Prodigal. Okay. Um, so that was, yeah, that was 2004. Um, and then right after that, I started getting like very much like heavily into DJing. Like, and that's when you started like yeah. DJing. Like I noticed you like you DJ these, you open yeah the you you like the open DJ mm-hmm. for these artists that that come in and perform at these venues. Yeah. Now, can you go about, I mean, I know it's a long list, but can you name some of the DJ or some of the artists that you've opened up for, oh, man. you know, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, yeah, that you've opened up for? Uh, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. I, I can give you some, pretty much everybody, like, um, pretty much everyone. I, I would say... Some of the bigger ones like Game, mm. French Montana, uh, Cameron. I'm just thinking about the list. Of course, yeah. like all the Wu Tang people. Like I've mm. done so much Wu Tang stuff. It's not even funny. So all that. Every time Mob Deep would come to town, I would I would DJ all the all the shows. Um, Scarface. I mean, you you name it. Yeah. Like I mean, throughout the years. I, I can't even between opening the shows and actually DJing for artists. Mm-hmm. Like you know, last year I was in Chicago. I DJ for Ghostface and Raekwon. So it's like Prodigy coming. I DJ for Prodigy. It's like it's, now, 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 let's talk about Prodigy. So you okay. had the you had the 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 opportunity and time to 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 talk with Prodigy. Yeah, and you met him. How, how was that for you? It was dope. It was dope. I think I, I'm pretty sure I recorded his last verse. Mm. I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, he might have done. Now, now that now he passed that week. He passed that, that week. That week. Yeah, that you met him. Yeah, well, to me, I haven't already met him before okay, and all okay. that. But the but the week that um, that we had the session, it was for Big Twin, mm. and it was at Quad actually. It was at yeah, it was at Quad in New York City. Um, it was during that session. That session was on. I think a Saturday night, either Friday or Saturday night, and he passed the next week. So I'm I'm not aware that he recorded anything th- throughout that week. Mm-hmm. So I may have the last verse. If I don't, then I got one of the last. one of the last. Yeah, and it, and it was great because not only did we get that song done, but we actually sh- we actually had an opportunity to shoot a video for that song too. Mm. The very next day, he was like, I mean, it's cra- it's just because artists never do that. Very next day, he was like, "Yo, I want to shoot this video," so you know it, it was for a song that I produced. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. saying, like, you know, I just so, all so, the stars so, lined up. So where is that song, and when can fans? It'll be it'll be on it'll be on Twins' next album called Grimy Life. So it's the Twins, Big Twins. Yeah. So Twins. Yeah, Big Twins. I okay. call them Twins. Okay, so it's but, on. 
the artist Big Twins. Mm-hmm. It's on his album that's yeah. coming. When's that album coming out? I don't know. Mm. He ain't done with it. He was just out here. He recorded a whole bunch of songs with Alchemist and, and Evidence and stuff. So he probably got about three projects on that. Mm. Um, well, then, then the video's recorded and everything. Video's done. But it's not out. It's not out. Uh, video's done. Um, what, but, are the, what are the odds of that? The yeah. odds of recording the, the song and doing the video the next day. The next day, I know, right? he passes away the next week. Yeah. And then, and then we had went to, he was doing, the whole reason why I was actually even up there is because he was performing at HNIC record uh, with the live band at the Blue Note. Mm. So I was like, so I told Twin, I said, yo, I'm coming to the last show. I'm coming up there because I want to see this. And that was the last Prodigy show I ever seen. You know what I'm saying? But he I performed H and I C with a live band. Yeah, he did the whole thing front to back. So that was the whole reason why I was up there. But yeah, yeah, shit was crazy. So that was the whole reason why I was up there to begin with. But I was like, Yo, Twin, since I'm up there, and Twin was on that album a lot, so he was performing with with Prodigy because he on like half the songs. Mm. So I was like, Yo, um, while I'm up there. Let's get a session in. So that's so that was the whole reason why we even had the recording session to begin with. Mm. So um, so that was that was that was that was great. Like, you know, I did I dig Prodigy. It's kind of it's kind of you know at this point in my life I'm 42, so I'm trying to think like, you know, when I was in my early 20s or 20 or so. You know, listening to these people, right. Prodigy, Rayquan. I went bowling with Rayquan like two months ago. Mm. So it's like to, to like to 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 go from like listening and being a fan fan of these people to sort of being able to to work with them, a DJ yeah. or whatever, have some sort of interaction. It's one of those things that I act that I appreciate, mm. um, just because I'm a fan of their music. But I'm not like. Um, it's, I'm not like in awe of it because it's something I had already expected. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy you say that because um, you know me being a barber. Um, in back in July, when I had cut up the RZA, mm-hmm. I mean I'm cutting them up and doing what I need to do. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But in my mind, I'm thinking this dude produced all them those records. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I have to like draw that line between like okay I'm here doing a job mm-hmm. and I'm so I, I feel that whole as far as like I'm just in awe yeah that I'm even right but I'm still doing a job yeah that I'm, that I'm here to do um, but it's it, it's an amazing thing and that's why I, I I wanted to do this this podcast was to just show let people know that may want to move. Uh, you know, from wherever they are to mm-hmm. L.A. or, you know, to just chase their dream. Yeah. You know, to step out. I mean, for years, come on, man. For years, you know what I'm saying? You, Jack, C-Nat, for years. Like, so when you coming out, man, when you coming yeah. out, like, oh, man. I'm gonna... And it got to a point where y'all wasn't even asking no more. It was just yeah. like, if you're going to come, you're going to come. If you're not, all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just one of those things. So that's what this podcast is for, to just... For people to just hear these types of stories, to know mm-hmm. and let them know, like, hey, you know what? 
I can leave. I can I can jump out there and see what can happen and never know what could happen. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. world is, you know, what I'm saying the world is in your hand. Just go for it. You know? Yeah. I mean, you you you, you know, you never know. I like much like yourself. You know, I listen to Wu Tang records all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, in two thousand and four or whatever. You know, RZA produced a single with Prodigal. I had the B side of it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like I would have never, nope. in my wildest dream, shared a single with RZA. Like mm-hmm. that. That doesn't even. Now, now let's talk about business. Yeah. So how does that work? Okay. So with with publishing, with ASCAP. So who are you with? You with ASCAP? ASCAP. Okay. So how does that work? So a record like that, you do. It's on the B side of mm-hmm. that record with Prodigal. You get that song registered with ASCAP yeah. as a writer's share, your writer's share, yeah. and your publisher's share. Mm-hmm. Certain things like that. So whenever it's played, you get paid. Correct? Yeah, that's how it's supposed to, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, wherever yeah. it's played, you know, nowadays if it's streamed or if it's mm-hmm. played or whatever. Placed. Um, are you happy in how things have worked for you musically as far as... Um, you know, with with that being, you know, taking place as far as like your songs being registered and things. Mm-hmm. Like that, do you look at things like and from going back, seeing how Jay got that hundred thousand dollar? Yeah. Post, do you look at you what it is that you do and you know, um, you know, feel like you reap the benefits of your work? I don't know. I don't really think about it in those terms because I mean, of course, there's money there. Mm. Um, you know, I still get ASCAP checks from stuff that I've done. Mm. Um, but I don't really think about it in those terms because I just, I mainly do music because I like it. It's not really, for me, it's not like a money sort of thing and it's not about really fame or anything like that. I just do music because I like it. It's an outlet. It's an yeah, outlet. like it's it's fun and it's creative. I like to put out. Re- I have my own record company. I like oh, yeah. to talk put about out that. records. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, so my my record company, Sound Unity Entertainment. Um, you know, I put out records. You know, mm-hmm. I have artists like Big Twin. There's another artist that I used to listen to on all those Mob Deep records. Mm-hmm. And I actually called his manager one time in like 2007 or something. I asked him how much for a verse and I couldn't afford it. You know what mm. I'm saying? It was too expensive. But I remember hanging up the phone and saying to myself, I'm going to work with him one day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And bang, now it's one of my homies, mm. one of my best friends, mm. and, I, and I put out his records. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, when you think about like what you were, what you were talking about earlier as far as chasing your dreams and, um, you know, really directing your efforts towards achieving your goals, mm. You, you, in my mind, you have to determine like what your goals are. Mm. One of my goals was like making a bunch of money and being rich was not a goal of mine. Mm. Working with people that I respect and having fun doing music, that is a goal of mine. Mm. When I first moved out here and I would go to places like the Key Club or like House of Blues and I would hear the DJ mm. that was opening up for the shows, mm. like I would literally just visualize myself doing that. Mm. And then I directed my efforts towards doing that. Mm. And now, guess what? You're doing I do it. that. So that's that's so that's what I'm so that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not one of those things. Like you know, it's that that myth. Like oh, you could do anything you set your mind to. Yeah. That's not exactly the case. Mm. Like one of the greatest assets in life, or in my opinion, is understanding what your limitations are. Mm. 
because there are there are you can't just do everything. I'll never turn into Michael Jordan, no matter how much I practice. Mm-hmm. I'll never be in the, in the NBA. So if you understand what your limitations are, then you'll better be able to either overcome them mm-hmm. or figure out something else. Mm-hmm. So so those are so that's something I learned that I, that I personally learned early on. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I feel like I'm more of a realist about how the world works. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm like not achieving my goals and dreams. Because yeah. when I think about all the people that I've met, yeah, all the people that I DJ for, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone, I mean, it's priceless to be able to sit in a studio with RZA for months. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it ain't like it was one day. Yeah, like like literally for a couple months and just. Watch him work, see what he does. He tells me his secrets. Like, we share stuff like that. He's like, yo, here's a drum kit. You know what I'm saying? So, those kinds of things, like, are, are invaluable mm. to me. Mm. And I'm saying that only because I'm talking about myself. Yeah. Someone else may say, I don't care about that. I want money. the fame and the riches and the money. Mm. That's what I'm saying. So, in my mind, because people would be like, oh, you don't have no Grammy. You don't have no... You know, you haven't sold millions of records and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's your ideal of success. Yeah. That's not my ideal of success. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's no. like it's like when people be, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm, suce- I'm I'm successful now. Yeah. Because I enjoy what it is I'm doing. Yeah. From all angles. Oh, yeah. You know, whether it's me cutting, whether it's me producing, whether it's me doing what I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. I enjoy it. And the thing about it is, it's one of those things where, you know, you... You 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 create an opportunity for yourself. Yeah, you know what I'm saying because at at a particular age and a point in life, we get to that point where it's like you know what, I need to start creating opportunities for myself mm-hmm. instead of waiting on opportunities. Yeah, and you know not burning bridges with people. You know what I'm saying. And sometimes you got to burn a bridge. <laughs> I, I, I burn plenty of bridges. Yeah, yeah, because I just don't care. <laughs> it's my world and my life and if I don't want you in my world right right then I'm gonna burn the fucking bridge down yeah, because you don't see that it's like you know what I don't see no use for you anyway you know what listen I mean? man some people and this is this is this is listen some people are just not valuable to you mm. it doesn't matter they may know all types of people mm. that can put you on or put you in certain situations that doesn't mean that they're valuable to you mm. And you cannot waste your time or your effort on somebody that's that's not that is worthless to you. Hmm. For what? Hmm. I burn all kinds of bridges, all all the time, hmm. all the time. And the reason why is because there's no. And when I say burn a bridge, I don't literally mean like I'm like fuck you, get out of my life. I mean yeah. I have done it a couple times. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying as far as, like, I'm not dealing with you. I'm just going to move on with my yeah, world. Yeah, like, like, that sort of thing. Because there's not, there's, there are so many ways to get to where you got to go mm-hmm. that it's not one person that can stop you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. if God wants you to have yeah, it. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing that anyone can do to yeah, stop you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's, up, it's up to you to stop yourself. Right, right, right. Definitely. I definitely, you know, it's, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm saying, man. Time is... Time is important. Relationships are important, mm-hmm. and and there could be negatives and positives to to both. One thing I, I don't like to do is waste a lot of time. Mm-hmm. 
because you can't get it back. Mm. That's the most valuable resource on the planet. That's the only thing that you can't rewind back is time. Mm. And relationships are important because relationships can hurt you or help you. Mm. It's up to you to understand and identify which ones hurt you mm. and which ones help you. Mm. And the ones that hurt you, you don't want to waste any time on those. Mm. Get rid of them ASAP. Mm. And the ones that and the ones that help you, those are the ones that you develop and nurture. Mm. And you put your time and direct your efforts towards that. Mm. And when when you start doing that, you'll see that those relationships, no matter if they end up being friends or not, mm. they are they can still help direct the paths that you want to go right. in a, in a positive direction. Right. Um, speaking on direction, where do you see yourself in the next ten years? I don't know, man. Just making music, or maybe not making music. <laughs> the thing, the, my thing. Listen, man, my my philosophy of life. I just want to enjoy life. Mm. I'm 42, so my life is half over. The first mm, 40, first 42 yeah. years are gone. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to waste a lot of time doing yeah. shit that I don't like. Yeah. So so if I the minute I don't like the minute I am not into making music, I'll stop and find something else that I do like. So that's that's how I choose. That's how I choose to live my life. So who knows what'll happen in 10 years? Mm. I don't know. Mm. When I was 32 and I was thinking about what life would be like at 42, I literally had no clue. Mm. I mean, I had no clue. I wasn't thinking about it. Now I was 42. Now I'm 42. And I'm sitting in the recording studio talking to somebody that I've known mm-hmm. almost all of my life mm. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Chopping it up about music and following dreams. Yeah. Shit, I wouldn't have thought that when we were in Chris's, <laughs> at Chris's house. And I'm trying to figure out how to use the EPS, you right, know what I'm saying? Right, I'm like right, trying to, right, right. I would have never, I would have mm-hmm, never thought that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's so it's just about, for me, it's just about figuring out, you know, how to use my time wisely and how to maximize my, um, like my fun and my enjoyment mm-hmm. and like not spending time doing negative stuff. For instance, like DJ, that's why I might give up DJ. Mm, why? Because I'm not really feeling the music. Mm. And now, like you said earlier, I'm opening up all these shows. I'm, you know, I'm still doing these concerts, but, you know, I'm spending, I'm doing like a Lil Yachty concert or something like that. And I'm playing <laughs> a bunch of records that I don't even care about. Really? Mm-mm. Nope, because I, because I want to, I want to care about the in, music. You should get into the this this lo-fi way that's 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 going. Man. Low lo-fi yeah. is dope. Yeah, lo-fi is dope. I like to because you know the what? thing about it is the thing about it is and like how we had that conversation mm-hmm. last time. And I was like, I mean, I want to do, but I mean, I'm not no DJ. And you was like, man, just do it. Yeah. You know, coming over here and just hearing you talk and and always telling me like, man, just do it. Yeah, it's like it puts that in perspective for me. He's like, yeah. you know what, fuck it, just do it. Just do it. And, you know, instead of thinking so hard, oh, man, he's not DJing it. So it's like, I'm like, I'm finding records and putting them on the pads and I mm-hmm. had like a little, what's we call it, Tuesday night yeah. at this little lounge and just playing music. You know what I mean? And, and that, and, and the thing about it is that, you know, could be an opening for you. Yeah. To be able to, because they have these certain venues that where it's just nothing but cats that make beats or they have beat sets and mm-hmm. play music you know what I mean it's still like DJing yeah. you know what I mean and so so that's the way that I'm going with on my end how you do your DJs on yeah. these that's the way I want to do so that way like I'm able to 
uh, vent that part of me out in mm-hmm. at lounges and stuff like that. I'm not a DJ on the turntables, yeah. But I'll get on the SP404 and have a live set playing some Sherelle, or, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Some 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 Shalimar or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just do the effects. Um, but I mean, you know, you you so you should probably think, you know, look into that, man. You know, what man, I'm I can't I can't do lo-fi, and the reason why is because <laughs> I, I love I love to listen to listen. Well, I'm, you know what you I'm saying, but you know, not necessarily just doing it, but I'm saying maybe like you know, maybe I come up with something new. Doing yeah, I you know, know what I'm saying. I know. I mean, if you're doing those watch McCullough shows, yeah, doing the little yaiis and all yeah. that, I feel that because you got the whole crowd up in there. They all. Millennials, yeah, you know what I mean. So you got to really think like, do I see myself doing this for the next five years? No, nah, you know I'm saying for I, next I talk to millennials. A, I talked to a DJ, man. I cannot remember what show it was. It was a little somebody, mm-hmm. but anyway, a little somebody. This the, one of the other DJs. He saw me using turntables. He was like, "What? You still using turntables?" See? You know, I was like, "Bro, I've been DJing for like 29 years." This dude was like 20. Yeah. I've been DJing longer than he's been alive, yeah. but after he saw what I could do with the turntables at the end of the night, he was like, yo, I got to get some turntables. Mm. You know, he was like, wow. Because mm. I, I, I still DJ the same way I DJ with so their music. He, what was he using? He had controllers. Mm. And c- controllers are dope, but the thing is, the art of DJing mm. is not how it used to be. I know. But what I do is... Like, I'll do, like, I'll play them little pump records, but I'll cut and scratch the same way that I used to DJ. Yeah, yeah. So for them, it's like, they're like, whoa, like, what is that? Because, exactly, because they just haven't, it's not something that that generation does. Yeah. But when they actually see it, yeah. it's something that they like. Mm. But if I if, if I did the same thing with 90s music, they wouldn't like it because of the music. Mm. But if you, you know, if you if you apply those same DJ techniques to their music that mm. they're listening to today, mm. they think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like they appreciate it. You know, and that's and that's that's what I like, but it's hard for me to just listen to that kind of music for hours on end. Yeah, you know? uh, uh, yeah, for hours on end. Yeah. And not only are you DJing it, but then the actual artists themselves come up and perform. Yeah, the artists uh, themselves come. Oh, and like I said, most of them artists, man, super cool. Mm. Super cool. I mean, like Super cool dudes, man. They stay out of trouble. Mm. They don't be fighting, you know. You know, I, I mean, they, you know, they they like to drink and do their little drugs or whatever. But ironically, not ironically, but I guess when they get on the stage, mm. they don't be high or drunk. I mean, these guys are real professional. Mm. When they get off the stage, I don't know what they're doing. Mm. But when it comes time to work, mm. bro, they working. Right, because I mean, shit, you be on the stage on that lean and yeah. all that, you lose, you know, forget what you're rapping, forget what you're doing. Man, the dude. They know that they got to get their money. Mm-hmm. And then the afterwards, then they turn up. Man, I, I DJed a, a Uzi Vert show, and I was like, I was very impressed with his performance. His music, I wasn't like that into, but his performance, I was real impressed with. Mm. That was that was back in the early days. I saw a clip the other day where he was, it, where it, it actually looked like he was on some drugs, but. <laughs> But back then, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this dude is like... No, you say back then, kid. how far was that? That was like two years ago. Because oh, he ain't been out that that's long. Back then. Yeah, that's back then for now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they come and go so quickly. Right. Um, so so, t- so tell me, what, um, you know, uh, uh, for an upcoming, an up-and-coming DJ or someone who inspires to do what it is you do, what would you tell them? Um, well, for one, I would tell them to practice a lot. Um, 
and I would tell them to figure out to to figure out what style of music they like mm. and just go as deep as they can into that one style and get very, very good and very, very versed at that. Mm. And once they do that, then start expanding out and using those techniques that they develop into other forms of music. That's, I mean, that's, that's primarily what I would tell them as far as developing their skill. Mm. Now developing their business is different. Mm. It's all about networking and who you know. So, um, you know, you might have to take some of those little parties for 50 or $60 or whatever. You know, DJ for free. If you part of the new generation, go to a place like Diamond Supply Store or Dope and see if you could see if you could DJ there on a Saturday for free on a Saturday afternoon for that's, one that, hour. That's out here. Yeah. Okay. You know, or whatever town that you in, mm. find like where the, where your people are at, are at, um, the kind of crowd that you want to appeal to, mm. and just immerse yourself into that crowd and start developing those relationships. Because, like I said, the relationships um, that can help you, those are the ones that you want to nurture. Mm-hmm. And re- that's how that's how the DJ business works. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all based on relationships, which most of these, you know, most businesses are that way. Um, it's the same way. Uh, going back to your um, conversation about when you went to SIUE yeah. and the frats, they wouldn't let you DJ in their parties because they already had their DJ. They so had DJ. at that early age, you started to see the politics yeah. of how to maneuver in this business. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would tell people just those two things. Like, you know, develop your craft um, as, much as, as much as you can and develop those business relationships as, as much as you can. And really just... Do the things that you're passionate about. Like I'm not. I spend. I spend a lot of time like, um, trying to do different kinds of beats and all. Like you know, mm-hmm. just trying to come up with stuff. And finally, about ten years ago, I said, you know, I'm just gonna do what I do. Yeah. I sample stuff, and that's what I do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to do nothing, nothing else. Yeah. You know, you come in here and you looking for like a some trap shit. Yeah, or a Metro Boomin beat or something. Go see gonna... Metro Boomin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's not, that's not what I do. Right. You know, I sample stuff. I use old crusty drums, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the kind of music I make. Mm-hmm. Like twin, like for instance, Twin and I. Mm-hmm. Like I love Twin's music, but we don't have that many records together because I don't do the sound that he likes. Mm-hmm. You know, what he, kind of sound does he like? He he, he, he him and Alchemist. Like he likes that Alchemist sound. That, 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 that shit. That, he likes that Queensbridge sound. Mm-hmm. That's where he's from. He likes that mob deepish mm. sound, which is primarily. But you make that, but you can make. You make I that. can, but it's not something that I normally do. What kind of what kind of vibe would you say you normally do as far as on production? I would say it's it's more soul samples. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's very much. I don't even have a Wu Tang sound. To be honest, it's just Prodigal is like he likes that soul kind of sample sound. So, but I, but I don't make like a sound that like. You know, like Jesuit rap on, mm. like that's not that's not what I do. Mm. So if you if you ever listen to Prodigal Records, like one of the things that that he would get dinged for when we first started making records is that when you listen to him, you're not getting a Wu Tang sound, like that typical Wu Tang sound, because mm. I don't do that sound. Mm. You know, I like what he likes what I do. I like what he does. So, and that's the same thing with Twin. Like we have a few records. But we don't have a lot of records because he likes that Alchemist sound. Mm. He likes that Queensbridge sound. Mm. Where Alchemist and Havoc created, like, that's what he likes. Mm. So, and I don't, that's, like I said, that's not a sound that I typically do. Mm. 
So, and it's not a sound that I guess I could do it if I put my effort into it, but for what? It doesn't come natural. Doesn't no, come natural it don't come natural. So, it's like, I'm not going to spend my time. I, mean, I told you about time. Like, why would I spend all day trying to do that when I could just do what I do in 20 minutes? We can make a record. It's like, it's like, it's like sitting up making all these beats trying to like, appease to appeal yeah. to someone and then they be like nah I'm cool so then you just wasted your time trying to yeah. make these types of beats for this type of yeah. artist and they still was like nah, nah I'm cool yeah. now you just wasted your time versus, yeah. if, versus if you were just you did the beats that you did mm-hmm. and then whatever artist comes across okay let's rock yeah. you know what I mean because you you did you, it wasn't like you wasted your time because you still are doing what it is you do Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm always do what I do. Yeah, man. yeah. I'm always do is exactly what I do, and I don't really care what anybody else says because if they don't want, if they want a, a beat to sound like something else, then go find that beat. Don't ask me to make that beat because it's yeah. not what I do. Yeah. Like I wouldn't walk into McDonald's and ask you to make a double stack. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm gonna go in there. And get what McDonald's got. Yeah. And I don't and I'm not expecting them to make me a subway sandwich at McDonald's. I'm expecting them to give me McDonald's stuff. Right. right. So so if you come see me, then this is the kind of beat that I have. If you don't like this kind of beat, then go find the beats that you like. Mm. You know, that's and that's all that with even with my with um XP, which is the Latino artist that I work with, mm. we, he's another one. I only got I only did like one or two records on him. Mm. Cause he likes other kinds of music, so I try to find music that fits, mm-hmm. that fits him, like stuff that stuff that he would like. So you know, just to wrap everything up, mm-hmm. how can artists reach you? How can anybody reach you if they want to contact DJ B Original? Instagram DJ B Original. Um, my clothing line is Street Structure, so you can Instagram Street Structure. Um, you can Facebook DJ B Original. Uh, my record company website is soundueonline.com. That's sound, the letter U, the letter E, online.com. Or you could go to djboriginal.com. You can find me all those places. So are you looking for artists now at this particular point? Um, if you run across I'm, a, I'm, I'm always looking. Because mm-hmm. as a DJ, I'm always looking. Mm. I'm always looking because people just have dope stuff. Mm. As far as putting out um, new artist records, uh, potentially, mm. I'm, I'm always looking. So you got a you got a, a Gmail that can reach you? Uh, yeah, you know what? You can email me at djbeoriginal at soundueonline.com. Okay. Yeah, but just, you know, you can go to, to my webpage and... Um, you know, hit up Instagram or whatever. Just say, you know, I'm 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 always I'm always open. Now I, you now you just put an album out. Yeah, I put a compilation album and out. And what's the name of that? Archives. It's called Archives. It's a bunch of records I recorded with people that never came out. Mm. So it's Keith Murray's on there. I got G Dub's last verse. So you know, G Dub is on there. Of course, Prodigal Twin. Uh, you know, Chi King, BK Cashmere. Like you know, I got just a bunch of records that I you know that I made with people. Okay. Um, that I just had them archives. Mm. So I might put another one out too. Okay. You know, I got a bunch I got a bunch of stuff, so Okay. I don't know. Hey, with DJ B original, man, I'm glad to come over here and, and, and rap with you, man. I'm glad that you was able to lounge with Skip. Word. You know what I mean? Word. I appreciate it, you know what I'm saying? And uh until next time, peace. Peace, yo. Next time you come through we're gonna talk about two thousand and five to 
to 2016. We made, we skipped the whole 11 years worth of stuff. So I can't. We Damn. Talk some more. <laughs> for real? For real? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We talk some more. We talk some more. Okay. Peace, y'all. All right, peace.